Nothing discussed with Dr. Phyllis Horner in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Well, aloha, everyone, and welcome to another conversation from Anxiety to Clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich from Sutter Health Pahimohala, and my colleague Trisha Kajimura and Evan Leong of Brain Gain Hawaii, and I hope that these conversations are helpful and give some insight as we're all struggling to deal with life with COVID-19, and it's not going away anytime soon. So where are we now? Well, more of our local economy has opened up. We can now dine in restaurants, uh, swim laps at pools, maybe even shop at an open market and go to the Honolulu Zoo. And in a few weeks, well, more attractions will be opening. And if you're missing having drinks with friends, well, you can gather at a bar safely and with masking and all the rest of that, but the bars will be open too. What's not open will be any major events that will have large amounts of people gathering. That's still going to be a while. And for many of us who have jobs, us collectively, us, we may be heading back to the office very soon, or maybe not. Many businesses are looking at what remote work looks like now that we've all had this giant experiment. And some are even saying that they might continue it or do some sort of hybrid where people work both at home and at the office. And that certainly brings a lot of opportunities for all the office space that we have in town and across the nation, too, that might be used for other purposes, including workforce housing. So we're going to talk about all of that today. Dr. Phyllis Horner has much to say on that subject. She is the CEO of Great Places and Spaces. And she and her partner, Dr. Manfred Zapka, help organizations to create workspaces that make staff feel safe and valued and even more productive. Throughout the pandemic, they've pivoted their business to provide free online assessments and business tools to help Hawaii's business community really reopen safely. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. So good morning and welcome, Phyllis. Uh, Good morning, Beth Ann, and thank you so much for asking me to be on this wonderful, wonderful series. Well, thank you, and you've been doing so much work over the last three, four months in particular with people as they're trying to have meetings, as they are trying to look at what work looks like now, both getting into the flow of working at home, then Mm -hmm. kind of creating some rhythm for it, and then now being faced with the idea that they may be going back to work, maybe they won't, maybe there will be something in between all of that. What are you seeing as you talk to a lot of your your client organizations? Well, basically, uh, there is no one pattern, as you were saying earlier. Basically, it's a matter of the industry they're in, you know, how much, uh, how many people were actually working at home to begin with, um, the workforce profile, uh, which some people like, for people who have children at home who can't go to school. I mean, things look different for them. Uh, For some organizations, uh, you know, they really have a younger workforce even than that. And and therefore, you know, there are a lot more options. But I think the main thing that um, we've been hearing is they're staging the physical return is, is getting there. You know, Mm. Uh, people know about marking the floor and the Mm. elevator they know about face masks. They, they may not always believe that the face mask helps, but they know they should do it. Um, they know about ventilation. They know about that physical part. And what, what seems to be 
the rub is have we done enough on that mm. safe work space kind of a feeling you know on the other side on the human side there's a lot more trepidation a lot more changes a lot more um unsure kinds of things although i mean i must say our community has really pulled together and put a lot of great information out on this aspect as well um the thing that i i believe um we should all think about as people as well as if you're in a leadership role is that you're not bringing back the person's mind and body you're bringing back the whole person and if you are a person that is working at home right now you probably have been transformed in a very fundamental way in terms of your relationship with work so what is the right thing for the company or the firm to do is a planning exercise in how many people prefer to be home how many people prefer this hybrid kind of arrangement you were talking about that then and how many just can't stand it at home and they just want to be in the office 100% of the time right there are some right. of us that feel like that yeah you know? and and some of this is is generational i mean there was a, a, a survey not that long ago i want to think somewhere in april that gardner research did that looked at mm-hmm. who is really comfortable to do this mm-hmm. at home and it was interesting because the younger the worker or staffer, the more they felt disconnected by being at home, which is kind of funny because we would expect it to be almost the reverse given the fact that so many millennials and Gen Zers are on a screen of some sort at all times, it seems like anyway. It does. And it was just funny looking at, at the numbers for that, that the older the worker the more comfortable they were with being able to define who they were at home and feel connected and feel like they knew reasonably well what was going on with the company. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just curious how you're seeing that with some of our, our organizations here that you've been talking with and working with. I think, again, it's an individual thing, but, but broad strokes, I agree with the Gartner study. Now, basically, I think um, Gensler put some stuff out, McKinsey and mm-hmm. a bunch of others, like similar kinds of studies are out there. But um, for those that have, uh, those that are used to the younger folks that really like the interaction, um, I would say they have a different risk profile with respect to COVID. The way they think about it is different. They don't think about it like, well, if I go in, I'm probably going to get it, you know, as much as (laughs) someone in my age group, right? And so the idea then is how do we, how do we unpack that kind of like overall view into the component parts so so that a person really gets what they need yeah and you know um i think this hybrid idea is very very important for us to just talk about for a minute because there is no fully remote work if you need to come in and connect from a cultural standpoint and make sure that you're still viewed as part of the team there really needs to be some way of connecting in person once in a while so I think that's what most, most businesses are looking at mm-hmm. is like how much, how many days a week can we do remote without losing the sense of team? And, you know, in certain functions like R&D, for example, if you're doing a new product launch, uh, on the mainland at least, a lot of people really need to be right in the same room, like hashing it out, working on it like that. And so most of the work that I'm familiar with, I don't know everything, none, none of us do is really around the what the professional or knowledge worker, you know. And yes, as you say, um, 
we're all different. So that's why we really take the approach of um, knowing what each person needs as opposed to knowing what most people need. I want to make just a correction to something I just said because I had two studies running through my head at the same time. The one that was talking about the comfort of being at home, working remotely, generationally speaking, that was Smartsheet. That was not Gartner. I was thinking about the Gartner study that had a number of CFOs who were mm -hmm. polled, and they said that probably 74% of those folks had thought about how they would create some remote workplace operations for about 5% or so of their workforce. And that's mm -hmm. interesting to think because we think, well, 5%, that may not be a lot, but still, mm -hmm. that's a lot of people. And it's mm -hmm. far and away in advance of, of what we saw coming into COVID where it's been very dicey, whether, you know, this work at home and all the flex time that that offers and people are really trusted or not, or do they have to log in with a, a certain kind of, you know, app to say, yes, I really am working, yeah. all of that. Yeah. We had this big experiment foisted upon us mm -hmm. by something that none of us could possibly have predicted. And mm -hmm. now we're getting some real data from all of that. Right. So, I think you know, one as, study. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go one ahead. study showed that 48% of the people um, who, who were working at home were happy doing it. And 58% of the same group felt they were more productive at home for their business so that they're... It's interesting because you're right, the whole idea of it being a kind of it was viewed as an accommodation for the individual who absolutely needs it and has proved themselves and, you know, the policies were written in a certain way. Like if you don't turn in your work, then, up, you know, like the principal's office, you have to go back to work <laughs> in the office, you know. Um, but now I think you're right that the, the tables are really turning quite a bit. And now businesses are looking at it as an opportunity for some portion of their workforce. And they certainly are able to cut some costs in terms of having to keep physical workspace that's very costly. And mm -hmm. yes, that's being somewhat offset by what people need at home to be able to work, you know, well and safely. But it's, mm -hmm. all, it's, it's all playing out. I mean, on one mm -hmm. hand, it's great to be part of this grand experiment. On the other hand, uh, the cost of having to do all that emotionally, certainly physically, is... Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that was exactly a quid pro quo, but w that's where we are, you know, is we, we have to be able to take it and go forward. Mm -hmm. Looking out at, at Hawaii, I mean, we've been talking about how many organizations and companies are thinking about not having folks go back into the workforce downtown. And of mm -hmm. course, that causes some economic issues there too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but what would your advice be if a company is kind of fence-sitting a little bit and they're, they're seeing that, Maybe this group is working really well at home, but they're not quite sure about this group. I mean, how do they really make an assessment uh, without being punitive and saying, you know, you didn't your, go do your work and now you've got to come back into the office? What do you oh, tell them great, to do? Well, I think um, we ask them to think about their branding as, a, as an employee of choice first. Um, certainly, all the employers of choice, no matter what survey they've done or what award that they've they've gone for, like best places to work or, you know, great places to work, or whatever it is, those businesses were already invested in caring about what their employees needed, not only from uh, a scheduling standpoint, but also from a meaning in work and all that kind of thing, right? And teamwork, um, how they're treated. And so we ask them to revisit that, uh, no matter whether they ever went for it or not. And they'll think about it as a moment in time where they can say, 
who do we want to be, how, how do we want to be viewed um, by our community, by the people that work here, by our customers, and how, how does all of this fit into that? So that's one thing. Then the next step, I think, is to look at it from a three workforces standpoint, which is don't assume that you're going to have the same as what you had before. Um, assume that some portion of people would prefer and can successfully work at home for a little bit or for a long term and use it as an experiment. Don't use it as a punitive thing. So rather than make it an accommodation, make it a reality in your policies that this is available. Um, and then, of course, comes the rub, which is like, how do you know the person's not surfing, you know, when you're when you have them working at home? And so we ask the manager, we ask them to ask the managers who have been working with these folks working at home all this time uh, to give a counterpart, like to the employee's point of view, like, yeah, I think I can do this. I'm, I'm comfortable. I, I prefer, here's what I prefer. And the manager then says, well, of all the people we have, have they all been doing well? So it's not like it's a one-sided kind of a conversation. It's both sides have a, have a play, you know? And then of course we have an assessment that we've created um, called my PQ work at home. And it's a free assessment for individuals to take or for business leaders to get a report about how their people view it ahead of the restaging of the physical space. And the thing that's important about it is that um, PQ stands for productivity quotient, which is kind of like EQ or IQ. How, what is the setting that makes you do your best work? Uh, and it, it could be hybrid or it could be fully at home or it could be back in the office, you know? So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's a dialogue and it needs to include the, the people ahead of being told what's going to happen because we're all overwhelmed right now. We're all changed people from a result of all of this great experiment you talked about, right? So yeah, that's what we tell them. And, uh, and some are easily receptive and others, you know, they're taking more of a wait and see kind of an approach. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because I know that you interact with a cohort from mm -hmm. around the country and in mm -hmm. Canada. And I'm wondering from what you've all been talking about is all of you are, are dealing with similar issues in different parts of the country and countries. Is this a different place in that way or are we pretty much tracking with everybody else? I would say the, well, having been here 30 years, this 31 years this year, um, I've seen a lot of our, our community resilience. I want to just start with that is, you know, I've been here in the Gulf War. I was here in, in um, when the towers came down in the last meltdown in, in several, several, several things that, and our economy gets affected so quickly. I would say that um, I have two answers. They're not really, they're not, they're not consistent with one another, but I want to say them both. And one is, um, being safe this time is, I think it's, it's being behind is not a bad thing from the standpoint of we don't want to do this wrong when we open back up fully to visitors coming here from all over the world. Like we, we can't get that wrong. And so even though it's very, very painful for us to go slow, I think it has been, um, it, has, it has set the stage for us to be a safe place to visit later. And I think that's really helpful. But with regard to openness to doing things differently, I would say, um, having been in workforce planning and the future of work here for a long time, we are 
less comfortable than the mainland with people not being with us when we work. You know, this whole idea of a hybrid workforce and people working at home caught on a lot much faster on the mainland than it did here and even in Canada. And that said, those folks don't have the answers for some of this either. And that's why uh, we're working with that consortium to create a different kind of a tool for bigger companies over there who are probably going to use AI to screen, you know, mm. like who comes into the lobby? Like, um, is it, is it, is it full uh, without having to have a person standing there counting heads like we do when we go into Costco, you know? And, and so I think that those are differences. The human side, uh, pretty much the same. Can I ask you, when you say that you know, we're less likely to be, at least at this point in time, to be tracking with the mainland in the way the mainland accepts this kind of flexibility, are mm-hmm. there reasons for that that you see? Is it because uh, you know, people may have more you know, need to be together in our, in mm-hmm. our community? Is there more suspicion? I mean, looking at kind of both ends of it, uh, or less trust? Is it a matter of having, you know, everybody has to have their bottom in a seat at a certain time, and that's just the way things have been for a long time, very regimented. And so there's resistance to being able to see that people are not all the same, even though we may know that intellectually. Do you have any real data for us that, that we can talk about in terms of how we behave in that way or the reasons we behave that way? I don't have a study to show you, but I, I, I just have, um, I've worked with uh, um, quite a number of companies here over the, over the time that I've been here, as well as been inside a couple of, of times. And I would say, uh, first, it's our culture. Our, our mm. culture is a very collective culture. Uh, we, we are team-oriented. We don't um, achieve anything without everyone. And so how do you do that, I think, is the remaining question for Hawaii. Like, how, do you, how do you have teamwork and non-judgment of one part of the team versus another just because of where they're located? And it's a brand new thing that we have to learn. So I think that's one reason. Um, secondly, our jobs aren't in tech. I mean, tech is a sector um, that is used to this. And so on the West Coast, where a lot of my colleagues are like, uh, working right now, it's, it's a no-brainer. Like, you know, they work for Facebook, they work for Zoom, and they're, they're like, okay, well, come back whenever you feel like it. But like, well, here's how shall we convene to keep the teamwork? And so I guess what I'm saying is the three workforces idea is understood there much more than it is understood here. And would I say there's resistance? No, I think, it, I do think that managers and leaders are gonna have to learn to trust differently um, and to be results-based in what they're asking people to do as opposed to um, the visual, I don't know, it's the word, the reassurance that the person's sitting there and you can walk by and say, how are you doing on that project? (laughs) Because truly right now with the way we're laying out offices, if you walk by a person who works for you, with you, and you say, how are you doing that project? And if you don't have a mask on or if you're yelling across the room, you're endangering that person, right? So you can't even, as a manager, you can't even deal with things the way you did before. So, so I think we right. need an adjustment there. Yeah. You know, but I would never say we're behind. You know what I mean? I, I love it here. So I would never really say we're, there's something fundamentally messed up with us or anything where we wouldn't get there. I think we will. 
I'm, I'm curious about a, a couple of things because first of all, you brought up the point of not necessarily being able to walk next to somebody and say mm -hmm. something in this new environment, even mm -hmm. with the Cushman Wakefield six mm -hmm. feet you know, room that right. they, or, or plan that they have for, for various organizations where they'll come in and show you how to make this happen with arrows on the floor and you always yeah. have to walk around clockwise and all mm -hmm. of these things. So that kind of a way of having a quick chit chat with somebody that seems to be now gone forever. Also watching a turnover in, in management workforce. Uh, a lot of people choosing this time now to either outplace and go do something else or to just retire. And given what we talked about a little earlier with the, the need of, of younger folks to want to congregate and to be able to, to share and be in the same space, I'm wondering how that's going to color how we see these organizations develop in ways that we need to because of you know, physical distancing, et cetera, but also how that moves into the choice of doing remote work, if that's going to really be a factor in how people are chosen or allowed to do remote work. That's, that's a great question, and um, I, I don't have all the answers on that, but I would say the, that the Cushman Wakefield and um, and our partners here, um, Hierarchy LLP, um, if you go on their website, they also have a layout plan of, um, with vendors that are local and how you can lay out your floor plan and all of that kind of thing. So there are there's some national things and then there's some local uh, resources as well on that. Um, the idea that we need to work differently, I think we're all getting used to that. You know, so the piece that you're talking about with the one-way flooring and like, you know, I asked someone the other day, well, what do you do if a person walks the wrong way down the hallway? What are you going to do to them? Ah. You know, like, you know, I don't want it to feel like school, right? And, yeah. uh, and, and none of us do either. None of us who are professionals want to be treated that way. Well, what are you going to do if your colleague takes their mask off because they just can't stand it anymore and you're sitting there with yours on? How are you going to not judge that person? What are you going to do to make them them understand your own perspective and and again so I think um, the idea of of how we work together is really complicated I do have a couple of solutions though um, and one of them uh, some of our banks are really uh, leading the way um, here because they're public facing but they also have people working at home they have people working in in the office and they were essential so they didn't shut down just like you guys at, at Kahi Mahala didn't shut um, completely obviously and the idea is um, they have, they've, they've created teams. So they create teams. And um, I really don't want to call out which bank because, uh, because then the others, I don't want to feel that way. That's proprietary. That's okay. Yeah. Um, and they create a team. And so they go in uh, a certain number of days for more hours, which would equate to 30 plus. And then the other mm -hmm. team takes the next six days or so. So they really have figured out a way to when people are together, they, number one, they know how many people are in there. It's not going to be overcrowded. They have all the other things, but the team idea is over time, it rebuilds that sense of continuity, you know, and then people still do get to be at home part of the time. So I think that's kind of innovative as one idea. Another easier idea is mask breaks. Uh, we call it um, mask relief. Yeah. And uh, so uh, the schedule changing the schedule so that people can get up and walk out of the building and get in the fresh air 
or even have meetings outside, walking meetings, uh, as well as shorter meetings, so that there, there are ways that we, we mitigate that sense of being kind of in prison when we go back, you know, because I, I can imagine, right, it's going to feel restrictive. So those are two ideas. I, li- I like both of those ideas because having been in a couple of meetings where we had to be in the same room and we were distanced from each other, but you know, some people were just saying, I just cannot cope with this mask. I'm all the way over here. Is it okay if I take it off and, and getting the agreement of the group? Of, you know, I've seen that and experienced that too. And depending upon what sector you're in, obviously in healthcare, if you're running around, that's not going to be an option. But for mm-hmm. the corporate community or for the business community, having the ability to not have that on your face all the time and be, you know, rebreathing your own CO2 and, and figuring out whether you really do have bad breath. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, or am I, am I dizzy because I just yeah. am tired or because I'm breathing my CO2, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's brought up a whole number of things. But all of that aside, when people do have these breaks and, and are able to do some of this too, that clearly demonstrates that an organization understands that this is difficult and that we have to be able to mitigate it on both sides. So both sides need to give a little bit. Right. I mean, and also, I mean, just from that meeting room example, my partner, Manfred Zapka, is an expert in healthy buildings, and he has tracked all around the world all of the the, the transmission data as it's emerged um, we in the United States are last to get some of the newest ideas. Uh, um, for whatever reason, our CDC is, is um, like we were promoting mask usage three weeks before the, the CDC finally said it was okay to promote that. And the idea isn't that we're wrong, but that we should um, enlarge our sphere of the, the news feeds that we read um, so that many of us, or come to our website because we have a lot of data on that, but the idea isn't uh, that we know everything, but that we're staying on the edge of things as they grow. Regarding meeting rooms, um, we would not encourage someone to take off a mask in a meeting room, but rather go back to their space and remotely come into the meeting. And here's the reason is because we just don't know how much um, aerosolizing happens in a closed space, but we do know that of all the spaces in a building, the meeting rooms and the restrooms are the worst. And so, uh, you know, um, we need easier ways so that we don't have this, you know, sense that people feel more traumatized by the thing that's supposed to make them feel safe, right? And that's why we looked for other ways that like HR and uh, risk management and operations can work together to say, okay, how do we change the permissions that we grant people throughout the day to, you know, in, in Hawaii, we're so lucky we can go outside, you know, all year round. And so these things like walking meetings that were considered before to be, like when I did it at Surfco, I was considered really strange. And yes, I may be, you know, but um, those that went with me, we all, we felt like, oh, you get your steps in, you can kind of focus more and you're in the fresh air, you know. So now these things that were kind of like marginal now become more mainstream, I think. Well, once upon a time, people thought that acupuncture was strange too, and now it's covered by your insurance, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of how long it is that we need to get used to an idea and then to see it as commonplace. So I'm wondering, just generally with with HR, how receptive are they to understanding that 
these kinds of mitigations can happen, that they're happening in other places, not necessarily the United States, but that perhaps we need to look a little further afield to just to see that there are good ideas happening everywhere and what can we import here? I would say there are leaders um, in our community in HR that are ready and um, speaking up about this and using it in their own firms. Um, I would also say that um, just like any other profession, they may wait, others may wait to see how it works in the leading edge companies um, and then adopt it later. You know, there is no right timing except for what your workforce needs and for what your business results are. So if you feel that you're going to lose key talent, if you don't do these things, that's one big motivator for HR to get on board right away. Um, even faster than they may be comfortable. And if you are in a mission-driven organization that absolutely is, is serving uh, a community that can't take care of itself, mm -hmm. then you need to do whatever it is to keep the community safe as well as your, your workers safe. So I think in those kinds of businesses, it's definitely, definitely we're ready. Um, so, I, and I've heard... Um, Sherm on webinars talking about this in terms of bringing back people in a, in a caring way. I know that, uh, yeah, I think, I think we'll get there. I would say, are we there today 100%? No. Probably not. No. Mm -mm. What will you be, let's try that again. What will be <laughs> yeah. the impact of the unemployed folks who are out there now not necessarily going to be going back to a job that may or may not have had them in an office, but still we have far more people unemployed than we've really ever had before. And so organizations are able to, to pick and choose in some ways. Are they, does that make them a little bit less predisposed to doing some of the things that you've talked about if it's not actually mandated as opposed yeah. to doing things to attract really great talent and want mm -hmm. to, to retain them? That is such a great question, Bethann. You know, I think it's a, um, it will be an emerging solution, but here are my immediate thoughts about it. Uh, first, I feel that um, right, before, right before the pandemic hit, we had just finished our book, um, Productivity 2020, which really was calling for businesses to rethink the way they looked at productivity anyway because it was the age of the employee experience. And that meant with a low unemployment rate, as well as with a high percentage of knowledge workers, that people did not have the loyalty forever anymore. And we knew this for a long time, but that they would even go down the street just for a better office setting if you had money attached to it. And why not, right? I mean, like really, there's a two-way street here where the business has to keep up with the realities and not just sit on whatever they did last year for people. Um, now, I think it's even more uh, complicated, as you alluded to. Uh, here's how I see it. Um, I'm reaching out to recruiters as well. Our firm is reaching out to recruiters. And we're saying, when you have a client who wants to fill a position, we think that all of the applicants should be able to say, here's my ideal work setting and put that into the equation of the match before you ever actually go into the interview. That way, once you get there, you don't lose the person within 12 months and then you have all the turnover costs that we, we know happen. And secondly, 
um, you're bringing in people that think modern about where you are and where you're headed as a business, you know? Um, so in general, except for the unemployed part, that's my philosophy. For the unemployed folks, and I know um, pe- most, of, most people that are unemployed, it's like a sudden shock. It's even maybe start with worrying about losing the job, lose, losing full pay, being furloughed, all of those things. What is the impact on my family? What's the impact on uh, those that I care about and my reputation, right? All of that stuff is all just in a messy, messy cube for many of us. And, and I would say don't lose your center. So organizations shouldn't expect people to lose their center, their self-respect, their ability to ask for what they need in this time, because this is one thing, how you're treated in the middle of this traumatic time will inform your decisions later. And do I think that this unemployment rate will stay the way it is? No, I don't. I think it will come back down. It may not come down to 2.5%. But it will be enough that people will still have choice, especially high talent. So I think it's a mistake for businesses to say, well, that's too bad. They should be happy they have a job. Uh, we're just going to, you know, treat them however we want. Because uh, although that might work in the short term, I really don't believe that our world is built that way anymore. Given the fact that we have had this historic low unemployment rate for such mm-hmm. a long time, Mm-hmm. And that for a lot of companies, when they were looking to get talent, sometimes that meant enticing somebody from someplace else and seeing if they might be interested or do they know someone who is interested. I mean, veiled attempts to, to get people to, to potential, potentially be interested in, in making a move. That was going on a fair bit. Mm-hmm. And now it seems that, you know, that high, high talent that we have that is not in a deep pool of uh, some people are choosing to, to leave Hawaii because there just yeah. aren't the opportunities here, or they feel that there won't be the opportunities in six months or a year because it's going to take us a while. And with all the conversation about how we reimagine our economy. So we're not mm-hmm. so heavily dependent on tourism that this is going to be too long of a run. For them. Yeah. And so, I mean, just hearing just anecdotally of, of people mm-hmm. who are choosing to outplace, go someplace else, be in another state, see opportunity elsewhere that's coming back quickly. What do you see as you look out? And obviously, uh, forgive me, I'm not asking you to prognosticate because none of us has a crystal ball, but in all of this and what you've said about being here for 31 years, as has my family and seeing a lot of these horrible things happen and then how the resurgence comes about all of that with all that knowledge of yours how do you look at the next six months to a year in terms of of what companies did you do to make a a good match that will last beyond six months a year two years from now um thank you for that question i mean like i i I could go a lot of ways with this, but I'll, I'll just start and see. Any way you want. I'm just up. curious what you see. Uh, I think in the short run, uh, how you reopen matters significantly. It sends a message um, that's very strong. Um, and, and do we understand that the workforce we're bringing back has different expectations of us? And do we accept that? And do we ask them, okay, so if we have um, $100,000 for uh, X, how should we spend that money to best serve 
our customers and you and not just like do the budget behind closed doors, you know, like we should ask and have input from the people who are coming back. And second, um, uh, another example of coming back well is to not um, keep the same workload and overwhelm that we had going in. I believe that uh, I believe the statistic that I believe it was McKinsey put that 46% of people were already overwhelmed in their roles before COVID. Uh, it's before COVID. Now it's 100% of people are overwhelmed in their roles, whether we show it or not. And so, and most of us don't, right? Um, but I think, you know, when you look at it that way, what does that mean? It means that our expectations for the, for the amount of work and results for the number of hours we were actually paying people yeah. is out of whack. Our priorities need to shift so that we rethink what are the most important things and not everything is the most important thing. And how do we make sure people can produce and why is not just a heartfelt thing. You know, it's not just heart. It's also brain, which is when people are overwhelmed, they are 46% more likely to go and use your healthcare dollars and they are 68% less productive. So that's one really, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a small answer to a big question, but this is start. The part about um, six months to a year, you know, um, I think as we look out, um, not having the second wave is very, very, very important in our offices. Like if we, if we have our employees and they trust us, and as a person who used to go in every single day for many, many years, if I had to go back, uh, and I don't have someone to care for at home, but I still worry, would I, would I contract something at work and bring it back to my family? And that is uh, not going away. So if we can avoid the second wave when we reopen businesses, then we have a chance of getting and keeping the talent we want. However, um, the piece about affordability, which I know you and I discussed before the call, maybe we want to talk just for a second about that. If you cannot afford to be here because the business community doesn't get it back together fast enough, um, who's likely to leave and how many? And we saw the Uhiro report last week that um, said it could be in the thousands, right? Um, 25 to 30,000 people who yeah. could outplace very easily. Like 4% or something, right. And, and, and who are those folks? Are they at the end of their career, at the beginning? You know, are they in... Uh, types of jobs that we were recruiting on the mainland for, we're in serious trouble if, if it's that, you know. So to prevent it, I guess we really need to think multidimensionally about it. Which is part of how we've been having this whole conversation. But one part of the conversation that we haven't yet focused on, which I'd like to talk to you a little bit about now, mm -hmm. is, is mental health. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, that was the purpose behind this series, and also the fact that we're seeing mental health having more, we hope, than just a moment where people are really understanding that to be healthy, to really care about well-being, it means that you have to take into account physical health, mental health, spiritual, emotional health, all of those things together to be a, a wholly integrated, healthy person. Mm -hmm. Do companies really understand that mental health component now as well as we hope they might or as well as we think they do? I think they're getting there. 
I don't think that it's easy. Um, I was on a, a webinar call with the Chamber of Commerce put on and the EAP provider here um, was on and he, and he, and he, was, he was very eloquent in talking about um, taking it from being the behind the curtain kind of a thing to use EAP, Employee Assistance mm -hmm. Program, um, and making it a, a, an expected thing that people go and do that. So I think that the, the trick is going to be the norms and values and culture of each business mm -hmm. though, because the idea, I, I don't know how it is um, in places that you've worked, but um, if people had cold and they called in sick before, uh, that was verboten, you know, as they say in Germany, it's like not good. Um, you were immediately off the promotion list or you felt like you would be, you know? So the, all these people coming in sneezing and coughing and, you know, with Kleenex and then go there, they go to the break area and grab something to drink, you know? And, um, and so the norm was that physical health and mental health were like, like you were expected to just be cool all the time and show up and do it like you're on and stage or up. something. <laughs> yeah. You pick up your big, big girl panties or whatever we say, right. Or big, yeah. big guy panties. And so, um, and now if we were to keep that kind of mindset, uh, our healthcare premiums would go up. People would go back on unemployment. They would leave, they go on stress leave. There's all kinds of risks to a business that don't get it. And I think people intellectually get it and are trying to change the policies but the policies changing is not the same as a manager saying, I care about you go home or I care about you stay home or it looks like you're having a tough day. What can I do to help? Those are new behaviors if, they, if we make them uh, core to the business as opposed to saying, what's the matter with her? How come she didn't get her work done on time? You know what I mean? And, right. and it isn't on. a Hawaii problem, yeah. right? It's a... It's, an, it's a U.S. problem. If you look around the world, we treat people differently at work than other places. And we've had a very different work schedule than mm -hmm. many countries in Europe, many countries around the world that mm -hmm. have uh, a longer lunchtime, not something like 30 minutes where you have to jam food into your face and off you go, but where the expectation is that you live a, a day that's much longer than just the eight hours or nine hours that one may be spending at work. Uh, in a place of work. Also companies that have had in place now for a long time, these incentives to not take sick leave. Uh, I know mm -hmm. of some companies who even give you a bonus day because you didn't take your sick leave or you haven't been sick in that time. So mm -hmm. on one hand, it's, if, it's a good thing if it's because you haven't been sick because you've been taking really good care of yourself, so you're not sick, so good for you. On the other hand, if someone says, well, I'm kind of sick, but I really would like to have that extra day thrown into my vacation days, it, it can cut both ways. And I'm wondering what you think of, of programs like that. I, I, think, I think that there's, um, I think of it in context. Um, businesses often operate on lower margins of re revenue, um, uh, net revenue than we think. And if in your industry um, you, you have the need to make a certain amount of net revenue um, and you're doing it kind of, you're treating people the same way that others do in your industry, 
then it seems okay because like you're doing something that isn't like out of bounds, you know what I mean? And that, that practice that you talked about is, is um, especially for executives, executives are really uh, hit by this hard because an executive going on vacation now and turning everything off is, is still viewed as, you know, uh, well, where are they? And, and then the, you have FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. And maybe you do. And there's a decision made that affects your department or your area while you're gone. And so there's this stress about um, being sick. I, I think if COVID doesn't cure that, we're in serious trouble. You know what I mean? And that's, uh, that's what I think. I, I, I don't really feel that this is the last pandemic. I don't want to be naysayer or, 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 or you know, Debbie Downer, whatever they call it, but I do feel that we should take the opportunity to strategically reshift our view of how we employ people and how we treat them, because this is only the first of many challenges that may happen, or it isn't even the first, but it's a big one. Yeah. You bring up a really good point about executives, because for a lot of this conversation, we've really talked about companies, management, higher management, bringing back a workforce, but for executives who are usually under tremendous strain and are, are really feeling the pressure to slap a happy face on it, or maybe some don't, and they have been uh, a little bit more egregious in how they show their state of mind to their employees can go both ways. But the understanding that this is not necessarily the best and healthy thing for an executive to be expected to show up rain or shine, really not take a vacation where the mind mm -hmm. relaxes, the creativity resets to come back with fresh eyes at some, you know, whatever the business may be, whatever the industry may be, that that was sort of looked at as being, well, that's not a good thing. That's not someone who's a real executive. A real executive is going to check email, you know, a couple times a day, even on vacation or take calls even on vacation. So there's really never a, a true break. Are we any further along in, in understanding that people really do need a break that's a break in the same way that we say when they're sick, they need to be at home? I think that one's going to come um, after we get to the point where we're asking people what they actually need to be productive at work. And, and it's in a confidential way that's a third-party application. I don't think if my boss asks me, do you have too much to do that I would ever have said yes. I would never have said, oh yeah, take something off my plate because I wanted to be a good team player. I wanted to serve, you know, even as an executive, I, I wouldn't ever say no. Um, so so how, how does the senior senior team, the C-suite team know that they're over the edge with people if none of us are willing to tell them, even if they were to ask? So as part of it is on us to... Um, change the way we communicate about what we need. And that's why uh, we're trying really, really hard to equip people with the ability to, to know what they want and then to speak up about it in a positive and constructive way. Uh, as, as the executives go, so goes the rest of the company. So all the way down to, you know, salespeople, people on the front lines, um, uh, anybody, you can walk into a space and the way that the executives treat themselves is the way that they expect everyone else to be as well. So diversity is actually the answer. And you and I have been working on diversity and inclusion uh, for quite a while together. Um, 
having a diversity where one person doing something it does not mean that they're better or worse than someone else if it's different. And in, in, in our culture here, I think that's going to be a long-term solution. It won't happen overnight, you know. It seems that the younger the employee, in some cases, the more vocal about some of these things that that person may be. At the same time that you've got generations, you know, three, four generations that are still working with each other. So it seems to be a, that there's a, a better need for some communication among mm -hmm. those groups to understand that they're not trying to necessarily take more advantage of one group than another. But as you say, it's different. There's diversity there. But from a mental health standpoint, to be able to see that all of this is so important for everybody's mental health, regardless of the generation, but that we have to put more emphasis on that. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that that will be one of the, the silver linings that comes out of mm -hmm. life with COVID. Any final thoughts from you before we say goodbye for this episode? Just that I fully agree with the last comment you made. And I, I, I think that it will be very, very important for us to focus on the whole person and on our inclusion of who they are and not just what they bring daily to the workplace. Um, we do have, by the way, a, a free service for leaders who are staging that reopening, and it's called Restart with Heart. It's an online confidential survey, which we are giving not only the survey, like say your HR person or your COO wants to take it, um, then we roll up a report and we even do the report free to give back to say, we think that you're 75% of the way there or you're 80% of the way there. So I would encourage anyone that's interested to do that, to just go to our website, which is um, HTTPS, uh, greatplacesandspaces.com. And you'll see it right there. You can take it and you'll get your report right away. So, and it's free. Uh, and it's free Thank until you. the end of this month because we know this is when the rubber meets the road for people to, right. to come back. Um, so it has been a pleasure and as uh, an amazing interview, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Dr. Phyllis Warner, thank you so much for joining me today. It's uh, really been an insightful conversation and we hope one that will be helpful to many people as they are transitioning back to work or into a hybrid situation of work at home and work in an office, or maybe back to the office because that's what they love, those three workforces you talked about at the beginning of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And to all of you watching, if you have a conversation you think that we should have, if you have a comment, I want to hear from you. Please email me at COZLOVB, that's K-O-Z as in zebra, L-O-V as in Victor, B, COZLOVB, at Sutter Health. Org. And I will see you next time when we continue to explore from anxiety to clarity. See you then.